You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, titled Trials, from the series Growing Stronger. For more info, visit creekside.org. Okay, James chapter 1. We're talking in this series about growing strong. One of the things that we got to grow strong through are these things called trials. Story of there's a woman, she won $17 million in the Florida lottery. And after receiving the news, the first thing she did was call home to her boyfriend and let him know, hey, I just won the lottery, start packing. Well, this guy's a pretty smart chap. So he asks the logical question, well, honey, fantastic. Should I pack for warm weather or should I pack for cold weather? She said, I don't really care just as long as you're gone by the time I'm home. <laughs> uh, I just, I love that. I could, uh, I don't know why. It's kind of a sick thing, but the, the man is entering into a trial right there. He's experiencing a trial. Have, have you ever heard of trials? Have you ever had one? I want to talk about those today because they're, they're a critical and important part of life. So if you would, uh, if you're in James chapter 1, uh, don't you love, I don't know about you, I just love Bibles. I love the smell of them. I love the feel of them. I love to write in them. And I love to read it. I'm going to talk about the Bible next week. But for today, squirrel, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Uh, where was I? Hebrews. Go to your left a couple of pages. <laughs> Hebrews 11. Talks about faith. I want to do this as kind of a precursor to before we get to James. It says this. Look at verse 32. Uh, chapter faith, some of your Bibles will say things like heroes of the faith. I call it the hall of faith. Because it talks about all these big dogs, all these big, big giants of the Bible. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Moses, and Sarah, and Enoch, and Noah, just, it, it, and it talks about how their faith and how they expressed and experienced their faith in God. And then it comes to this group of people in verse 32, and the writer says this, and what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, become mighty in battle, and they put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead raised to life again. Some men were tortured, not accepting release so they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two, died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, holes in the ground. But notice this final statement. All these were approved because and through their faith but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. These people, they continually lived as if they were waiting for and going to receive the promise. But what did they find? They, they, they just experienced difficult times throughout their life. 
And then they said they got this ultimate reward. They got something better, which was Jesus in heaven. See, that's the ultimate thing that we get to experience. And James is going to, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. This isn't the ultimate down here, loved ones. This is, this is like act one. Now go over to James. It says, James chapter one, verse one. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I was writing this book, I would not write it that way. This is what I would say. Terry. Pretend I'm James, but I'll just use mine. Terry, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would have flashed my credentials. It would have been my street cred. People would have listened to me. Oh, whoa, he's the half-brother. But not James. He doesn't flash that. He says he was the half-brother. But what does he say? He says, I'm the servant of the Lord Jesus. And he says, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, greetings. And the dispersion was just all the Christians that, uh, and the tribes of God that had been dispersed because of persecution. Now, we get this. He starts his first words, consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. James, listen, if you're looking for like just a fun day in the Bible, probably James is not the book to go to. <laughs> this book will turn you black and blue. If you're looking for grace and love and an easy, don't go to James because he, he's like a ball-peen hammer, and he will nuke you. He will say things like, you think you got faith? Then you better show it. You better live it. You better walk it. You better do it. I think I'll go back to fun in the Psalms. <laughs> but notice what he starts out with here. He says, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, but endurance must do its complete work so that you may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. Really? I got I to gotta go through stuff to become mature and complete? Yeah. Now, if any of you asks, lacks wisdom, just ask God who gives to all generously without criticizing, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the doubter is like the surging sea driven and tossed by the wind. Isn't that what happens when we go through difficult times? Where's God? What's happening? How come? Oh, boy, do I believe? Do I not believe? Can I trust God? Should I not? I mean, and he says, no, no, you're, you, need to tr you need to be stable in your faith and your trust. And he says, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord if he's not stable, if he's being tossed to and fro. See, he doesn't just give you this wiggle where like, oh, he's just going to do it because. An indecisive person is unstable in all his ways. And then verse 12, he goes and he says, blessed is the man who endures trials. Because when he passes the test, when he gets through it on the back end, he will receive the crown of life that Jesus has promised to those who love him. When we deal with trials, listen, I, I think most of you know, if you don't, if you're newer and you don't, I am not a negative preacher. I want to tell the truth and I want to be straightforward, but I'm not negative. I don't believe God's out to get us. I believe God loves us. With If you were here the last two weeks, you know that, that we, we understand how much this God loves us. But the reality is we will face trials. 
Because there's a segment of Christianity that doesn't necessarily believe we will. Now, in the simplest of terms, trials are simply outward circumstances. They're conflicts, they're sufferings, they're troubles that we encounter as people and as Christ followers. They're those things that that press you and they bring pressure to your life. They're external adversity that happen. But they can also provide a proving and a maturing process with it if you respond correctly. There's another idea you see here in verse 3 where it says that these things are meant to examine and to prove us, to determine really if we're the real deal because that's what God's always doing is shaping us into being like him, to be the real deal, to become all that he's called us to be. It's like back in, in this day, they would take a coin in that day to see if it was genuine. And the focus with trials is never to destroy or afflict, but it is to purge and to refine. And ultimately, we, be, we can become defined in a positive or negative way because of the trials that we face. Often hard to understand because we only see them as the bad and the ugly because most of the times they are. But we can never forget, I hope that you understand today, that they really have good purposes intrinsic to them. And James here notes that the reality is we will all face trials. He doesn't say, consider it joy, my friends, when some of you, you're all, we're all going to face them. And as we read in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith where the heroes of faith are seen, we see that faith was the key to all of those great people listed there. So how do you kind of, how, how do we have that maturing faith and how do we allow it to work in us? Well, the development of a maturing faith is not, it's simply, it's a lifelong process. You know that. You don't, you, you, you start with faith, but you never arrive. Your faith is one of the, it's like a muscle that you always want it to be growing. You always want to be working on it because faith is not the destination. It is simply this journey that we're on and it's lifelong process. And the thing about these trials and faith is, well, they can be painful. They can be difficult. And that goes against the spiritual grain of those who have bought into a belief that a strong faith is a preventative of having bad things happen in our life. Personally, I don't subscribe to a preventative faith. That if I believe enough, hard enough, long enough, do the right things, that I can stop things from being negative or happening in my life. The life of faith is often painful and it's uncomfortable. And, when, and if we're not understanding that our, that our faith can be that way, we'll begin to deny the reality of it, and that's called fantasy. Have you ever had people that do that? I've seen people that have been diagnosed with cancer. Bless God, I don't have cancer. Or diabetes. I don't have, I don't have diabetes. And they think they can like kind of explain it away, or they can faith it away. Now, is faith important in healing? Yes, it is, but I do not believe it is the ultimate preventative. And a lot of Christians, and a lot of times it's happened because of teachers that we've heard, and I'm not trying to you know, take any pot shots or the TV shows that we watch, that there's such, a, there is, and you hear me say this, there's an Americano Christianity out there that is very, uh, very dangerous because we begin to believe that if you hear some of the teachers that if you have great faith, if you're really growing in Christ, nothing's going to happen to you. You're just going to have this wonderful life. You're going to have the best kids. They're going to send them to college. You're going to have a bank account that's full. Your marriage is going to look like so-and-so. And 
That's just not true. And you know that's not true. But sometimes we buy into that and believe it, and then we begin to think, oh, well, there's something's going wrong. What's wrong with my faith? Well, there's, and, and, and so we get these kind of skewed belief tendencies, like we'll believe that we've been singled out, like God's mad at us. No, trials happen. Life happens. But James says, don't be surprised when you face them, because they're going to happen. Another skewed belief is that, that we believe that experiencing them is abnormal living. No, that's totally normal living. That's life. James says it. Expect them. They're going to come. A skewed belief tendency, nothing is, nothing is good to be gained from them. They're just a hassle. They're a hindrance, and they're going to cause my life misery. Could happen. But James says, the scripture says, oh, there's a great deal to be learned from them, and they will ultimately perfect and make your life better. Hebrews 12.2 says that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He shows us that faith isn't about getting but it's about growing because he said even he had to experience trials and tribulation and difficulty and endure obedience to the point of death on the cross for his growth. And he says he's the one that, he's the beginner and the ender. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And if you listen to some faith people, they will say, you know what? If you just believe, you can have anything. Don't do that believe, speak faith, but don't think that God is obligated to give you anything. I remember when I was, uh, I, I had just come, I don't even know if I was a Christian yet, but I was going to church, and uh, my girlfriend broke up with me. You've heard, I think I've mentioned her before, Terry. Can you imagine, her name is Terry Joe. Can you imagine that, Terry and Terry? Sick. It would be weird. Is Terry there? Uh, which one? No, we didn't get, you know, she broke up with me. So I found this little book. And it said, you can have whatever you want by faith in 30 days. A little book. So what did I do? I started, it said, if you just memorize these verses and you, and you read this and quote this prayer every day in 30 days, you'll get what God wants for you and what you want. I thought, great, I want this girl back. <laughs> Guess what? 30 days later, I, Terry's no longer, she's not there. I was highly disappointed, somewhat despondent, questioned my faith, Thought God was out to lunch. And isn't that crazy? Because I thought that a formula would get something. Well, I got a lot better. I got Trina. But, yeah. Um, because God knew. Could you imagine, though, if I could twist God's arm with a formula? That would be scary, but he's sovereign. And sometimes people believe that we can do that. And what happens is if you believe that, if you have the right amount of faith, the good kind of faith, it, it will set you up with expectations on God and you'll be disappointed and you'll begin to get ticked at God. And you'll be disappointed in God's life for you. But God relates to us on the basis of his word, not by obligation, but by grace. And when trials come, if you don't have a, faith that is steeped in reality and the basis of God's word, then you'll feel like God didn't come through and perform for you, and you'll do what so many people do. They will walk out that door, and they'll say, where is God? Why didn't God come through for me? I've seen him do it for others. And see, the reality of our faith, loved ones, that makes our faith distinctly Christian, it is seen that in the midst of trials, pressure, trouble, pain, difficulty, disappointment, we have a God that may not remove everything, but he will always give us a guided tour with his presence with us through it. 
And that's what makes it distinctly Christian. Second thing, you know, James really says is be ready. They're going to come. He says trials of many kinds. There's a word there. It's, uh, it's parakito. And, it's, and it means that there's going to be this sudden, these trials, sometimes they're going to come suddenly. They're going to be out of nowhere. They're going to be unexpected. It's the idea that stuff just happens. I mean, how many of us would say, oh, yeah, I think in two weeks a trial is going to come. Oftentimes it just comes out of nowhere and it happens. Those negative forces of the trial in our lives, they bring this element of surprise. And James warns us, be poised, be ready, know they can come. Now hear me, hear me, this is important. Don't ever think, because I, and you've heard me say this before, a guy come up after the first service and said, reminded me of this, but don't believe that, okay, oh, whew, life is so good. I love life, it's going great. It's, it's bad, it couldn't be better. What's going to happen? How sick is that? Like It's like you're expecting, well, God's been so good to me, he's probably just going to zap me with something just because. God never does that. That is not the character of God. God doesn't say, I'm going to break your leg just to go, well, I think you could learn something from this. And, and, but we think that. It's too good. God's going to do something. No. Life happens, trials come. I want you to understand that. Because if, if I served a God like that, I'd be shaking my fist at him all the time. Or I would misunderstand that this trial was just something that happened versus I think that God sent it. Have you ever noticed that when stuff hits the fan, it is never evenly distributed? <laughs> Isn't that true? And I look at you. I was looking at first service, and I saw a person in there, and I just thought, oh, Lord, I'm talking about this, and they have done nothing but trials for the last 10 years. Where's the fairness in that? And I, I don't know. And I can't answer for it. I don't even try to anymore. I just try and say, you know what? Just walk with Jesus. He'll get you through. I'm sorry you have to go through this, but let it work something of depth in Christ in you. Because see, these things, sometimes they happen suddenly. We don't know where they come from. When I was a youth pastor, I would go to, I would take our students to high school camp, and then um, I would take junior high students to camp, and then a week later, the three weeks of my summer were at camp. By the time I took these little kids, these little rascals, I was tired, but I'd take them. And you know what you do as parents when you send your little kids to camp, what do you do? I mean, you just give them this big wad of money. You go, here, kid, here's 40 bucks. Go enjoy, you know? And what do they do? They got this thing there called the snack shack. And so what do these little kids do? They don't know how to monitor it, so they just buy whatever all the time, and they're just, you know, slopping down candy. Well, I had this really cute kid. His name was Ryan uh, in our church, and I got along really well with his parents. This is before I had two boys. And so I just, he was just a great kid, so I wanted him in my cabin. And so little Ryan, uh, that day I noticed that he's, he's walking around, man. He's eating all these gummy worms. And then go back to the cabin, I find out that he had this big thing of gummy worms. They were about half gone. And we go to dinner, and Ryan's sitting right next to me, and, hey, bud, how you doing? And, and, I, and we're passing around the food. It's like a round table like this, um, except they had a little benches on them, and so we're all sitting around, and, and he's looking at me, and I say, Ryan, you need to eat. I know, Pastor Terry, I'm not hungry. And he said, no, Ryan, you need to eat something. And he's such a sweet kid. Okay. So he plops a couple of things, and he takes a few bites, and he looks at me, and, and he gets up kind of slow. And he goes, Pastor Terry, I'm not feeling. And suddenly, 
I am wearing the morsels of dinner that he just put down, plus a couple of gummy worms. And then all of a sudden, he, I saw him. I know this is like TMI on Sunday morning, but on the table, you know, there's like this syrupy gel. And then there's this mound of rainbow coalition of gummy worms at different digestive places. There was red, there was orange, there was green, there was yellow, there was syrup, it was gross. And he turns, and this sweetie's, yeah, I'm so sorry. So I help him clean it up suddenly. You ever felt like that? I mean, we're just suddenly, something happening, out of nowhere. Everything's going good. That's kind of what he's talking about here. And he says, I want you to be ready. Because see, oftentimes, they're, they're not ready when a trial comes because they're not kind of built in Christ and trusting Jesus. They're not expecting, and we're definitely not looking forward to it. But we've got to understand these things will happen, loved ones. And there's a couple of ways they happen. There's cause and effect. Uh, scripture says in Galatians 6, 7, don't be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Truth is, understand this, hear this. Some of our trials come to our lives due to our choices and or our disobedience. Not all of them. Most of us will know when they happen. But that can happen. So that's not God's deal. But in the midst of that now, when you've got to live out the, 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 the consequences of that disobedience or that bad choice or decision, guess what? God says, I will still use that to mature you, to build you, to benefit you, ultimately to bless you. The second way they come is by spiritual trials. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, don't think it's strange that the fiery trial that is to try you. Jesus said it in this way in John 16.33. He said the world, in this world you have tribulation and trials. There are trials that simply come to us. Some of you probably experienced this just because you're a Christ follower. And hopefully you're not kind of some you know, wacko one that's, you know, preaching at the water cooler, but just because people find out you have certain beliefs, they might persecute you or talk down or make fun of you. That happens. Jesus says, don't be surprised by that. Don't be surprised that a trial comes to you at work because you follow me. You're, you're part of a different kingdom. You're walking in step with me. The rest of the world outside of that kingdom, they're not walking in step with me. And then there's, there's, there's trials that come because of mystery. They're difficult to understand, and these are the ones that are the hardest for us to swallow or accept because we find no logical reason, no rationale behind. We can't explain why they've happened. They've just suddenly come upon us. And these are the ones that will ultimately reveal where our faith truly is, whether we really trust God or, or we expect God to be able to kind of be our person that takes care of everything and gives us this nice, wonderful Americano Christianity where everything is smooth, wonderful, and good because, well, I'm, I'm American and I'm a Christian. That's what I deserve. Remember Job? Job, and I don't like this. This is a little bit bothersome because because Job gets caught in the crosshairs of Satan who tries to wipe him out by afflicting him physically, causing him to lose his family and ultimately ruining him financially. But it's true, God is proving something. He's showing us something and he's showing him something that really begins to work in Job's life. 
I mean, to think about that story as a result, all of history marvels in studying how in the midst of what Satan meant for evil, God used it for good as he sustains Job all the way through it. And he ultimately rewards him with double what he ever had. But as Job gets caught in the crossfire, Satan will take you there and he'll get you there. Even if this is a, and listen, some trials happen, as I said, different ways. And you've got to be careful that you don't start blaming God for everything. <coughs> Excuse me. But Job gets caught in this crossfire. And this is what Satan always wants to do. He kind of wants to, he, he wants to do what, what Job's, Mrs. Job, Job's wife did to him. Remember in chapter 2? I mean, Job is at the bottom of the barrel, and he has this wonderful, precious bride that comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> Thanks, honey. Appreciate it. But see, God will see us through in all the midst of it. And at the end... We'll be tried and we find, excuse me. <coughs> See, God was doing something deeper in Job's life. The Bible says that he was perfect. Perfect, not like perfect, but he, was, he had this perfection about him. He was just this righteous guy. But you know what God had to do? God had to extract some things out of his life. You know what Job had? He had spiritual pride. Because as you begin to get through the book, after he deals with his three crazy friends that want to tell him he's a sinner, He's a loser. He's walking away from God, and they want to put him down and everything. God starts asking him. Uh, Job starts asking God questions, and God says, who do you think you are? Did you create the world? Did you do this? Did you do that? And that's what God does a lot of times. He, he doesn't give us answers. He gives us questions. Because what we want to do is we're Americans, and, and, and we know a lot, so what do we want? We want answers. God, why? Why, 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 why? You know what God says? I want you to ask what. What do you want me to show you through this? What do you want me to, what, what do you want to experience? And how do you want to see my life through this? And that's what we have to learn, loved ones. God doesn't owe us an answer. And this is what I, I, I don't want to say I don't like it, but I'm used to it now. God gives me very few answers to why. And that's the question I always have to ask is what? What do you want me to learn? What do you want? to show me. And that's always the more, more important one. Because you know what happened with Job? Job gets to the end, 42nd chapter. God was extracting this spiritual pride because, because Job was saying, well, I'm this and I'm that. And I'm this and this and this. How come? He didn't really know God. We find out in chapter 42 that he knew about God in his head. But I believe it's verse 8 of chapter 42. We see this happen very clearly. God has this revelation of God. Excuse me, Job has this revelation of God. And he says, ah, my ears had heard about you. Now my eyes see you. And there was this revelation that it wasn't just about this religion that he knew about. Now it was this relationship that he was entering into. And here's, see, God, when he was going through this trial, he was extracting all of that religion out of him so that it was moving now into a relationship. Even when Job goes through it all, he endured. This is what he says, um, that he went through it and he understood it because now he knew God. 
See, trials from God, they always come to strengthen our faith, faith and to reveal himself to us. But the enemy comes in, and when he gets involved in the trial, because what he will do is use it to exploit us and to move us away from the things of God. And every one of us, when we're in the midst of those trials, will have to determine what we're going to do. Because will we either press into God and learn about him, or we'll blame God. And here's the issue. Will we trust him with our life and our circumstances? And the next thing is we've got to be resilient. We want to be resilient. If you look over there, just turn a couple pages, you'll see in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says this, you rejoice in this, though now for a short time you've had to be distressed by various trials. Why? So that the genuineness of your faith would become more valuable than gold, which perishes through, though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revealing or the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him, now you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, back then, those folks, they, all they knew was a lot of persecution and difficulties and trials. That's why James writes to the church. That's why First Peter, Peter writes to the people. He wants to encourage them. He says, don't be surprised. He says, there's something better coming. There's something of God where he's at work in this process. You know what they're saying? I don't like this. Get happy. Did you know how many times they use the word rejoice? Whenever you see trials in the New Testament, there's almost always this word joy or rejoice with it. Are you kidding me? That's what Isaac, when he, was, when he first started talking, his first year, year and a half, this was his byline. I always loved hearing him say it. But something would happen, and he would look at Mayor Trina, and he'd go, uh, Nana, Papa, I, I know like. And that's how I feel sometimes. Papa, Heavenly Papa, I know like this. but it's always for our betterment. Job said this in Job 23.10, yet God knows the way I have taken, and when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. And he did. See, in Bible times, when a man wanted to make something of fine gold, he would subject the ore to, uh, to such intense heat that all the impurities would be burned out, and the goldsmith would know that the work was done when he could see the reflection of his face in the liquefied gold. After he scraped off the dross, took out the impurities, he could look at it and he'd say, ah, it's perfect now, I can see my face. See, God is working in our lives now and into eternity, loved ones, and he will turn up the heat at different points to bring forth the impurities to the surface so he can take them off. Why? So that everything that you face, everything that you go through, people will begin to see the image of Jesus in your life. And they'll go, I don't get, how, how did you get through that? How, how did you not fall apart? How did you not drop kick God? Oh, because I know that he's doing something of depth in me. I know he's doing a greater work through me. And see, that's what God wants us to do that we become the reflection of his life and his goodness and grace because when we face trials, we don't get bummed and broken. 
we get blessed and built and we begin to speak that to the people around us. My former professor, and I've told this story, it's one of my favorites, he's a brilliant man, he was a mathematician, uh, he was a fighter pilot in Vietnam, and I had this incredible privilege of, uh, before he was big time, he was uh, my, uh, one of my professors in college, in my senior year of Bible college. And his name is Ted Roberts, and he's written some books, and he's retired now, but he ended up going and pastoring one of the most significant churches in Oregon that is still significant to this day, very strong. And um, he was telling us about this time when he was a fighter pilot, and he happened to be at this uh, air base and found out that uh, uh, SR-71 had flown in. Well, at this time, these planes were fairly, were fairly new, and, and uh, it was under tight security. And he didn't know much about it. Nobody really knew much about him, but he found out that it was there. And he, and he, um, it's a plane that flew like at 70,000 feet and uh, incredible mock speeds. And he tells how he, I had to see this. That's, you know, be a pilot's dream. And so he, you know, he went through a bunch of red tape and talked to a bunch of people. And so they ended up letting him go into the hangar to look at it. Well, he went in there and as he got closer, he's looking at this Blackbird SR-71 and he's, He's kind of looking at it, and he goes, this is kind of disappointing, because as he walks in, this plane, it's, uh, uh, some of the metal's not really tight on it. It's kind of almost jagged, and he looks underneath it, and there's all these oil pans, and there's oil dripping, or some kind of fluid dripping into these pans. And he goes, what's, what's the deal here? And he looks to this, the guard that was there, and he said, what's wrong with the plane? And the guy goes, well, there's nothing. He says, what you have to understand about this plane is that it's meant to fly at high speeds and high altitudes. And parts of this plane, a number of the parts of this plane is made of titanium, which is a metal that expands in the heat. And he said, this plane is not made for the hangar. It's made for the heat and the heavenlies. And he goes, ah, that's how we're built. We are not made to hang around at the hangar and just have the comforts of life. We are made, loved ones, for the heat. We are made ultimately for the heavenlies. And some of us, we got to remember that when we're going through the heat, God says, I have designed you for this. You are equipped and you were built for it. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep going. Trust me, I will develop things of depth and character and maturity that you would never know. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 5. So we've heard from Peter. We've heard from, we've heard from Peter. We've heard from the writer of Hebrews. We've heard from James. This is what Paul says. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also through him, we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Period exclamation point, yahoo. Oh, and not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. Papa, I don't like that. More afflictions, because we know that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And this hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he has given us. 
as it works, he says, there's going to be this hope that is the absolute expectation of coming good. How can that happen? Let me close with these things. Remember the promises. He says it's going to produce endurance. It's going to be the ability when you look to him, when you trust in him, and you understand how trials work, it's going to give you the ability. When everybody else wants to quit, you're going to be able to keep going. This endurance will lead you into a process of maturity, and it will establish and have a completing work in you and your faith. That's why my life verse is Philippians 1.6, where I'm confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will complete it. When's it going to be completed? In the day of Christ Jesus. When Jesus comes or I die. Not till then. It's a promise of wisdom. He says, ask God for wisdom who gives it liberally. I say this all the time now. And it's good for every one of us to learn. Again, it comes back to the don't ask the why. Ask the what question. Because he says, I'm going to give you wisdom. Don't you notice? He says, I'm not going to give you answers. I'm going to give you wisdom. I'm going to give you the ability to think through. And with the knowledge that you have, you're going to be able to navigate the situations that you face. But you need to ask. And then he says there's the promise of an advocate, Jesus Christ, who stands with us. Jesus is our heavenly advocate, 1 John 2, verse 2. I was in this meeting yesterday where I'm working with these pastors, and I'm working with the pastor, the staff, and the board, and I'm working with the uh, staff in this meeting, and I'm interviewing them, and they're telling us what they do and why they do it, and blah, 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 and we're just peppering them with questions, and I talked to one, and then I asked the second one, and he's telling me all this stuff, and all of a sudden, the first guy starts in, kind of says, hey, I just want to interrupt here real quickly, and I just want to say something on his behalf, and he starts just downloading all this information, and I look at him, and I said, you know what, listen, if I ever want an advocate, I'm going to call you, <laughs> because he was advocating for this guy. And I said, thanks, it's really nice of you to do that, but I want to hear from him. Now, see, Jesus does that for us. First John 2, 2 says he's our advocate. He stands before the Father before us. He stands with us, and he defends us. We have Jesus. You see, the word trials, you know where the word trials comes from? The reason it's so prevalent in the scriptures is because before Christians, you know what people called them? They called them fates. You know what fates means? <laughs> that's the breaks, folks. Tough rocks. But see, the Christians, Christ followers, they started to communicate using this word trials because in the grueling court of life, when you face the cross-examination of troubles and trials, we've got an advocate. His name is Jesus. And he comes to turn our adversities into advantages. How many of us can look back three weeks, three months, three years, 30 years, and you can say, yes, those things happened in my life. They were difficult. But they helped grow me, mature me, make me, lead me to become what I am today. What I thought were adversities became advantages because I have the advocate Jesus Christ. And the last thing he says in verse 12 there that I want us to note is promise of a crown. See, trials not only help produce spiritual maturity for here, but get this. 
See, we get so consumed, loved ones, with the temporal, we forget that this is act one of the eternal when we get to go and be with Jesus. See, we're made for the heat and the heavenlies, not the hangar. And someday we're going to be in heaven. And, 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 and we, we forget that. When tough trials comes and leads me, and, and you want to abandon your post, you want to give up, you want to doubt God, keep going. Finish strong. Well, you don't know, PT, man. I mean, it's, I'm facing unbearable family trials. I'm facing unbearable marital trials, unbearable relational trials, unbearable financial trials, unbearable health trials. <laughs> okay. That's your reality. But here's the reality. Jesus wants to work in that. Jesus knows what we're facing. Nothing escapes his purview. And he offers us this amazing payoff. He says, listen, what you're going through, I get it. Don't you look around sometimes and you go, where's the payoff? I mean, I just can't, throw me a bone, God. And he says, this is life. I wish I could tell you why some get bigger bones and better bones and meatier bones. I don't know. I don't even try and answer that anymore. Here's what he says. There may not be a payoff here. For most of the people, remember I read you about Hebrews 11, there wasn't a payoff. Here's the payoff, eternity. This is as bad as it gets for us who follow Jesus. And that's not too bad because everything gets better. Think of this, the king of kings, God says, I'm going to give you a crown. I just grabbed some of my golf trophies out of my office. I don't even know why I keep them. I, I've thrown away so many trophies in my life, I'll probably throw these away in another 20 years. But <laughs> most of these I didn't even earn. The guys in the church, they played with them and they helped me win them. But they're cool. I love when I go to a golf tournament. I love when I used to play basketball tournaments. You'd walk in, you'd see this table of trophies, and I'd go, I want one of those. Golf tournament, I want one of those. And I was fortunate, I was good enough, and I always was more concerned about the team than me, but I knew if we won, I might get one of those. And I knew that if our golf team, if we won, I'd get one of those. And you know what? It motivated me to do my best, to be my best, to give my best. Here's the deal. Sometimes we have people say, oh, in Christianity, you can't be rewarded. You can't, you can't be motivated by reward. Close the chapter on that book because God talks about it throughout his word and he says, what? I've got rewards for you. And he gives that to us to keep us going, to keep us engaged, to give us a hope beyond what we face here and now. And just like I walk and I look forward to those rewards, here, loved ones, those trophies, here's what he says. Don't forget, whatever you face, I got something for you. I mean, I don't know about you. I got you know, sometimes my ego is, is a little bigger than it should be. But sometimes I think about going to heaven. What if God, all of a sudden, Jesus pulls up in this U-Haul? You know? Terry Riley stepped forward, and I go, yeah, here I am. And all of a sudden, he's got this big, heavy crown, you know? And I uh, looking around, everybody else has got their crown. Not that I want mine to be better, but I just go, <laughs> I just think, wow. Because I remember, you know, there's nothing more fun than going to a golf tournament and getting your name called up or a basketball tournament in front of all these people, and they recognize you. I want that for my Savior. 
Here's my faithful servant, Terry. Here's your crown. And you know why you get this, bro? You endured. When you had to go through this, you trusted me. Thank you. It's all going to be worth it, loved one. Don't forget that in this life. Don't give up. Keep going. The Bible is filled with brokenness and pain. Yet James says this. Get happy. Peter says what? Rejoice. Get happy. Paul says what? You'll have joy. Get happy. You can only do that if you know God's got your back.